Have, um, <clears throat> have uh, any of you been involved in, in team sports? Just show of hands. All right, I've never been a team sport person, but I've seen a lot of movies about team sports, right? You know, we've all seen the movie, you know, the 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 high school team that, that could, you know, that faced the, the ter- terrible challenges, but they, they went on to victory. We've seen movies like that. And the passage we're looking at today kind of reminds me of of one of the halftime speeches, you know, they've they've really fallen behind in the first half, but they go in, you know, at halftime, and the the coach gives them, you know, first of all, points out everything they did wrong, but um, and and that's really kind of what Paul's been doing so far in this letter. He spent a lot of time talking about what the Galatians have done wrong, but then, you know, he has to encourage them and tell them, okay, now get back in the game. You know, you you can still win this thing. So I, I've, I've kind of taken you down a notch, but now I have to build you back up. And that's kind of the place we're at now in um, in this letter that Paul writes. He's he's kind of trying to build people back up um, for this game they're playing. And so so the question, you know, first of all is, you know, in, in my little analogy here, what is the game that, that is being played? And um, the the game is the to to live as a new creation, as we've seen throughout this entire this entire um, letter. Paul has said that that Christ has inaugurated the the age to come. That this present age is passing away, and Christ has inaugurated the coming age. And that people can move from the 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 age that's passing away, the present evil age, into the new age, the 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 coming age, the. The, the become part of the new creation by faith in Christ. So he says, okay, that has happened. Christ has done this. And so now the game is to live in that new age, even as the other age is running alongside of it or sputtering to its close. Paul says, live as new creatures, part of the new age. So, so that is the game that he's playing. And the, what makes the game difficult is that, is that there's people in the stands who are shouting advice to the players on the field. That there's people, you know, there are this this group of opponents who are saying, don't run that play, run a different play. And so Paul's saying, you know, the playbook I gave you <clears throat> talks about how you can live as people in the new creation. But they're saying, no, you need to run a different set of plays. The people up in the in the stands are saying, no, you need to play a different set of of um, uh, plays. You need to you need to obey the Torah, the Torah, the Jewish law, that you need to, you, uh, now that you're in, you know, now that, now that you're a Christian, you need to begin, uh, um, uh, living under the rules, uh, of Torah. And so, so that's the advice they're shouting from the stands. And Paul is saying, no, don't do that. And the, um, the, 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 the game, the game, is is what's at stake here what's going to happen as a result of that so so that's what they're doing but but they're but they're but the way that the the they're acting the the opponents we know it's a high school football game because because what they're saying is if you don't if you don't do what we tell you if you don't obey the the rules we give you if you don't make the plays we tell you then you can't be part of our clique we're going to freeze you out. You're going to. You're not going to be allowed to be part of our our clique. So, so Paul's saying, don't don't worry about them. I've told you what it means to be part of the new the new creation, and and um, so so there's this that that's kind of the situation as I see it. If you can put up with that analogy, and I'll probably torture it some more later. But um, but that's the that's the idea is that Paul is saying, 
you need to stick to the playbook I've given you because then you can win the game. Don't listen to the people up in the in the stands who are telling you other things. And particularly, don't fall prey to them using this leverage on you about are you going to be in our clique or not. And that's that's what was going on in the first century. And unfortunately, that didn't stop then. Churches still do it today. Churches often uh, make a habit of telling people, you can't be in our clique unless you do these things. That yes, it's great that you know Jesus, it's great that you've trusted him and you put your, your faith in him, uh, but now there's a list of things you have to do in addition to trusting Jesus. Ch- churches still do this today. Churches do it all the time. Uh, they do it in the area of relationships. You know, you can't do that unless you're married. You can't get married unless you're such and such. That churches give different rules about the way people should behave. They, they talk about finances. They say, when you, when you want to be part of our group, if you want to be part of our church, then you have to do these things with your finances. You have to arrange them this way. And in particular, you've got to give to the church. They talk about, they, they give you advice about what to do with your health. And for example, they say, you know, you, you're dealing with a tough diagnosis. And they say, well, you need to have faith, right? You need to stop doing this. You need to have more faith. You need to spend more time praying. Things like that. Churches are filled with advice. And in particular, churches, um, set up these, these, uh, th- this, this uh, entrance criteria. You can't be in our clique unless you do this particular thing. And there's three areas in particular where churches do that. One of them is the way that people um, deal with substances. That unless you stop doing this um, and start living clean, then you can't be part of our group. Another one that churches use is that they say, unless you, you change the way you express your sexuality, you can't be part of our group. And uh, increasingly today I see another one, which is unless you change your politics, unless you get on you know my team politically, you can't be part of our group. And so I see churches doing all these things, creating these rules. And so the, the particular advice that's being given is different. But the same problem is at work here, that people are saying, looking at, looking at the, the, uh, the new believers, the, the, the new creatures that, that Paul is writing to in Galatia and saying, you can't be part of our group unless you do these things. And so what would does Paul say in response to that? So, so Paul says, um, he spends a lot of time kind of talking the first couple of verses, um, from, from 12 until 20. He talks about, uh, think about who your friends really are, right? I'm your friend. They're not. And specifically, he says, they want to shut you out so that you would run after them. That they're using this high school technique. They're trying to, to not let you in the club so that you will change your behavior, so that you will then uh, start doing the things they tell you to do. Paul says, that's the problem with him. And then he talks about how he's different. And um, uh, we don't have to delve into that. A lot of people spend time thinking about what is Paul getting at here. But basically what Paul is saying is, I've told you throughout this letter and back when he was in Galatia the first time, he said, you you know what what it takes to be part of the, the club. What is the club? The club is to be acceptable to God, to be, to be put in a right relationship with God. And they're telling you, you can't do that um, unless you... You uh, uh, obey these rules. And I'm telling you, you already are because of what Christ has done. So you are already part of part of that group. 
and you've been uh, as a result of that you've been adopted into the family of the children of Abraham that you now have Abraham as your ancestor and you've been given the holy spirit as a down payment and the test and the, the holy spirit testifies in your heart calling god father he says these are these are the evidences you have that you are already you are already doing what god wants you to do you're standing firm as a new creation so paul says that's that's what um, the alternative to that running after them is. So then he goes. Uh, he goes on. He says. So they've been telling you you need to obey the law. They've been telling you to obey the law. Well, let's look at the law. He says, don't you listen to the law? He says it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and one by the free woman. So Paul is referring now. He's he's not talking about the do's and don'ts of the law. He's referring to the entire first five books of the Hebrew Scriptures. He's referring to the Torah as a whole, and he's saying, let's look at a story from the the Torah. He says Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and one by the free woman. So this would have been very basic to Jews. They would have been familiar with it. It's not clear if the people in Galatia would have known this story as well, but maybe Paul is challenging them. Ask, ask my opponents. Ask them about this. They will, they will tell you this is true. So what is the story? He says Abraham has two sons. God promised Abraham a child. So, um, that happened in chapter 12 of Genesis. By chapter, um, 16, uh, uh, Abraham and Sarah are impatient and Sarah says, uh, sleep with my my slave uh, um, Hagar, and and we'll just do this ourselves. We'll just you know quit waiting on God. We're going to have our own child that way. So so that was the first son, Ishmael, and then uh, God God uh, God blesses uh, promises to bless Ishmael, but He says you're not the promised child. That's a DIY child. You guys did that yourself. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna. I'm going to give you a different child. I have promised you a child, and that one's coming soon enough, right? So, so uh, sure enough, uh, in chapter 21, so I mean nine chapters, so eventually uh, God does give them this child, Isaac. So those are the two sons, one by the slave woman and one by Sarah, the free woman. And he says the son by the slave woman was conceived the normal way, the, the, you know, the normal way, the DIY way, and the son by the pr- free woman was conceived through a promise. So... He says that's the distinction. See, they're they're saying um, they're saying that that um, that we need to we need to obey the law. He says, well, let's look at the law. And he says the law talks about two kinds of children. And then he says this this great word. He says these things are an allegory. So uh, an ad- allegory is is um, it's kind of like an editorial cartoon where. Everything's labeled and, you know, the dog is the Democrats and the, the bird are the Republicans and whatever, you know, and all these things like that. Um, that's what an allegory is. The word originally meant to speak in riddles for reasons that shall now become obvious. Um, so Paul, Paul says, let's, let's look at uh, the, the deeper hidden meaning or the symbolic meaning of, of this, this passage in the law. The women are two covenants. So these two women, Sarah and Hagar, Correspond to two covenants, and um, the 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 reason that so 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 why is he doing this? Probably because the opponents have done it. Um, that that we may look at them and say, well, I don't know about using allegories to reason with people, but presumably the opponents did. That maybe they even said, Paul told you you're adopted into the family of of the children of Abraham, but Abraham had two families, and you want to make sure you're part of the right 
section of that family. You want to be sure you're part of the right part of the children of Abraham. And so Paul's saying, sure, fine, but who who is who? Who is the right part of the family of the children of Abraham? He says that there are these two women. Which one of us, which 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 approach corresponds to to the the um, children of Sarah and which which approach um, corresponds to the children of Hagar. So these two these things are an allegory, and then there's going to be this convoluted or intricate uh, analogy. So he says the women are two covenants, but by the way, they're also two mountains and two cities. Um, <laughs> so so let's kind of pick this apart. He says one is from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to slave children. This is Hagar. So what does he mean by that? Well. Sinai is is where the law was given. Moses Moses uh, camped the the Israelites camped at the foot of Mount Sinai. Moses goes up the mountain. He comes back down with the law. So he says, uh, Hagar represents the the law because these people are telling you to obey the law. Um, and why is that Hagar? Well, because Mount Sinai is not part of the Promised Land. It's in the wilderness. You've left Israel. You've left Egypt, but you aren't in the Promised Land yet. You're out in the wilderness. You're in Arabia. Okay, so like Hagar, you are in the wilderness. You're not part of the promise. So he says Hagar is in is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and she corresponds to the present-day Jerusalem because the city is in slavery with her children. So why does he say that? Because because Jerusalem is this is the is where the temple is, and these people are saying you need to obey the law, the law, the sacrificial system, and all the other parts of the law that are centered around the temple and in um, Jerusalem, and so uh, he he's kind of crafted this set of set of um, uh, 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 analogies, and uh, maybe also because Jerusalem is where the opponents have come from. Uh, we don't know that, but people often suspect that these opponents have come to Galatia from Jerusalem. And he says he says that's Hagar. They tell you that they're children of Abraham, and maybe they are, but they're the wrong children. They're the children of the slave woman. And he says, but. The Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. So we are the children of the free woman. So now, that's clear as mud. I'm sure everybody's got that. You know, you could write it down. You know, if this was a test. So if it wasn't complicated enough, Paul's going to say, "Let me give you one more detail." So what what Paul's about to do now? So he's already got mountains and cities, uh, heavenly Jerusalem versus Jerusalem. Uh, Mount Sinai versus Mount Mount Zion. Um, <clears throat> it would help, by the way, if Paul had told the other half of this comparison. He says Hagar's like this, and he never says what's what Sarah's like. So we have to fill in the blanks there. But so we've got mountains, we've got women, we've got free and slave. We've got so we've got a complicated analogy already, right? And then Paul says there's one more thing I'm going to bring in from a whole different book of scripture. So he says, let's go look at Isaiah. So what's going on in Isaiah? So he quotes from Isaiah 54. Um, and and <clears throat> what this is, is Isaiah 53 talks about the, God's servant who would suffer on behalf of the people. And as a result of what the servant does, new creation comes into being. And so God promises in Isaiah, he says, Rejoice, barren woman, you who have not given birth. Break out with a shout, you who have not suffered labor pains. Because the woman who's been deserted will have more children than the woman who has a husband. People have been looking at Israel and saying, where's your God? Your God has deserted you. You're, you're barren now. There's, you know, you're a wasteland. That's what's going on in Isaiah. And he's saying, 
No, because of what the ser- servant has done, because of his suffering on behalf of the people, God will bring new creation into being. So Paul says, I'm going to take this complicated allegory and I'm going to add one extra dimension of complication to it. He says, because of what the Messiah has done, the 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 woman with more children, Sarah, the woman with the child of the promise, will have more children. So he's he's taken this complicated allegory and made it um, even richer. Um, so it's an even richer story now. So, um, so that is, so, so, uh, the, the, the woman, and, and then he finally, he finishes labeling things. He says, brothers and sisters, you are the children of the promise like Isaac. Okay. If you've been wondering, they're the children of Hagar. You're the children of, um, of the promise, the children of Sarah. You are Isaac. So he says, but just like in Genesis, and this is where it helps if you know the whole story, and it's like nine chapters long. But but what happened is, after Isaac is finally born, um, uh, Sarah doesn't like the way Ishmael treats him. You know, he, Ishmael's a teenager, and he's not getting along well with his half-brother. Uh, this has never happened before. Um, so um, Sarah Sarah's upset, and she tells, she tells um, Abraham, throw out the slave woman and her son. So she she says get rid of Hagar and so so um, so uh, Abraham does and then God God kind of alludes to God God makes promises to Hagar um, that that Ishmael will be a, a king in his own right but but he falls off the pages of Genesis at that point and you know because it wasn't it was it was getting a little bit too complicated even for the writer of Genesis so so that's the place we're at now so. Um, <clears throat> Break out with a shout. So you're the children of the promise and uh, the one who conceived the normal way, the DIY child harassed the one who was conceived by the spirit. So this is the lesson. They want, they are freezing you out. They're saying you can't be part of our club because you haven't done the right things. You haven't obeyed the right rules. And Paul says, what does scripture tell you to do? He says, throw them out, throw out the slave woman. Uh, the children of the slave woman. So he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we aren't the slave woman's children. We are the free woman's children. And he wraps it up. Christ has set us free for freedom. Therefore, stand firm. Don't submit to the bondage of slavery again. So that's what Paul says to do. That's that's his halftime speech. He says, get back out in the field. They're going to keep shouting advice at you from the stands, and you ignore them, right? You don't want to be part of any club that they're setting the rules for because it's not the right club. That's not the true church. So that's what Paul says. Now, a couple of observations and then, and then an application. So, so first of all, how was Hagar treated? Okay. If you're familiar with the story, those of you who were looking confused, that's fine because it is a confusing comparison. But if you actually are familiar with the story of Genesis, it's hard not to get the impression that Hagar got a really bad deal. And, uh, you know, we can say, well, that was 3,000 years ago, and, you know, all deals were bad back then or whatever. So we can say that. But ultimately, I think the, the lesson is that, yes, maybe maybe she did. Abraham and Sarah weren't really good good um, uh, masters to her. But, but the point of the scriptures is not that Abraham or Sarah is the hero uh, or Paul or Peter or anyone else. 
the the point of the scriptures is that God is the hero. God is working through flawed people in order to provide a solution to human sinfulness. So, so yes, I think Hagar got a raw deal. I actually did a paper in seminary saying Hagar got a raw deal. So the next thing is Paul says, okay, throw out the children of the slave woman. So what is Paul saying here? Is Paul saying you should get rid of those people in your church who won't toe the line. Well, that's kind of what the people in the stands are doing. So I don't think that's what he's saying. Now, in in the letter to the Corinthians, Paul does talk about excommunication. He says it can be done properly. He says, here's the problem, okay? They're not submitting to the discipline of the church, right? So, you know, they're, they're telling people wrong ways of relating to Jesus. So what do you do with that? Well, what Paul says in Corinthians, and maybe he's, he's getting at that here, um, what Paul says in Corinthians is, look, they're confusing you. You know, you're, you're having trouble dealing with them properly because they're part of the church. If you kick them out of the church, it all becomes very clear because then you just love them, right? Once they're out of the church, you love them. Whether they're, they're, they're doing right teaching or wrong teaching, anybody who's not in the church, it's so simple, right? It's when they're in the church, then you've got to wrestle with, you know, what about false teaching and so forth. So, so he says that there, there is a way to do excommunication properly. So maybe that's what Paul's getting at here. But he's still quoting scripture, so I'm not sure if that's what he's getting at. I think what Paul is is telling people to do is what he says in, in chapter 5, verse 1. He says, stand firm and don't submit to a yoke of slavery. So this is this is central to our understanding of what Christianity is. Christianity is ultimately good news. It's not good advice. The people up in the field... Uh, up in the stands, maybe shouting good advice, and they may not. But Christianity is not about good advice. It's about good news. It's about what Jesus has already done. And it's not about if you want to deal with that problem or if you want to be part of our club, then you have to follow this advice. That's not that's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about the thing that Jesus has already done. So, here's an application for those of us in the church, Right? I see a bunch of you right here today. Okay, If you care about somebody, it's very hard not to give them advice, right? Particularly when you see them doing things that are just not going to end well. And you're thinking, you know, you shouldn't do that, right? I understand. That's a very, very uh, a strong temptation. And I, what I'm telling you as the pastor, as, as the interpreter of Paul's writing here, is resist that temptation, Right? They don't need your advice. They really don't. And in particular, insofar as your advice may be seen as the advice that you're speaking on behalf of Jesus. Right? Now, if somehow you can, you can persuade them, no, it's just as your neighbor or your friend, maybe then you can give them some advice, but really, ultimately, it's best not to give them advice. So, as the church, don't give people advice. Don't set entrance criteria. Don't, don't shut people out so that they will run after you. Don't do that. But that doesn't mean God doesn't care what we do. It doesn't mean that God won't help us. If we've got a problem that we're trying to deal with, if if we're not happy with the way we relate to substances, if we're not happy with the way we've been expressing our sexuality, um, these are things that God will does care about and will help us with. That's what Paul's going to talk about later in this chapter. But it's not an entrance criteria. It's something God does for the people who are part of the new creation. 
It's not something that is a that is a gate you have to pass through on your way to the new creation. God will help you. God has has um, a way of helping people um, uh, who are part of the new creation. This is really what Jesus came to do. But it's not an entrance criterion. If people in the church have told you that it is, they're the ones who are wrong. That God wants you the way you are, and then you and God can work things out. So, what do we do with this? We do exactly what Paul says. Stand firm. Don't submit to the yoke of slavery, and certainly don't try and impose the yoke of slavery on others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, it is hard. It is hard not to give people advice um, or even simply tell them that this is these are the rules and they have to obey. Help us to remember that Christ died for everyone we meet. And whether their life is exemplary or a mess, whether our intentions are good or bad, you want to have a relationship with them. And Lord, when we are the one who are being challenged, maybe not by somebody in the church, maybe by somebody in the mirror, help us to remember that it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Give us the strength to stand firm. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.